0: Amen. Good to see you this morning. If you are new or if you have uh, uh, just joined us the last couple weeks, my name is Jason Hatch, and I get uh, the incredible privilege uh, to be the lead and the teaching pastor here at Redeemer and the incredible privilege to have the last two Sundays off. Uh, so thanks to uh, Elder Jordan, who was uh, in the drum cage today for preaching last week and Pastor Jonathan for preaching the week before. Uh, was here last week, got to spend some time with some new folks teaching Next Steps class, uh, and then the week before that, got to spend some time swimming and fishing. Fishing in the Devil's River with my youngest son. Uh, And uh, it it did not rub off on us. We're still Christians. We now named it. It's Jesus's River. Uh, We redeemed the river itself. Uh, A couple quick things before I jump into uh, teaching for today. Uh, First off, if you are new with us, uh, whether this is your first Sunday or maybe you're one of the many uh, that have been around a few weeks or even a few months, but you have still not let us know that you're here and who you are, uh, we would love for you to do that because we would love to connect with you. Uh, So if that's you, you can text connect uh, to the number here on the screen. We'll send you a digital connect form. Uh, or if that's you, on your way out, swing by the tent and just let someone know uh, from the connections team there under the tent uh, that you're new and we will uh, connect with you that way. We'd love to get to know you a bit, answer any questions, and really uh, let you know of some ways that this might be a home for you. Uh, and next, really, it's it's kind of, this announcement is aimed at everyone, but especially uh, to covenant partners in the room. So if you're a covenant partner, say amen really excitedly. All right. Take three. Have y'all heard that? Everybody say take three. If you didn't, you didn't read your emails, okay? You got an email. We're pushing this out the last couple weeks. We're trying to do a big uh, effort, mainly uh, for Redeemer Kids this summer, where we would love for you to consider to take three of the Sundays this summer uh, and serve somewhere, but specifically consider serving in Redeemer Kids. We have a lot of kids, praise the Lord, uh, for young generation hearing about Jesus, Uh, but also during the summer, we have a lot of people traveling, obviously people in and out, so we need... uh, all hands on deck. Uh, so you should have got that email. If you're not, I believe you're going to get a text message uh, sometime this afternoon with a link where you can go look for available Sundays to sign up um, because we need you, the church needs you, the kids need you, uh, and would love for you to find a place to serve. So take three. Sound good? That's probably somebody that has already served before and they realized that we need help and would love for everybody to jump in. And everybody said... Amen. All right. Uh, We started, uh, Pastor Jordan uh, started last week our summer series uh, that's going to carry us all the way through the summer. It's called Christianity uh, 101. Uh, And really what we want to do with this, I have two main goals for this, and really honestly, a big thanks to Jordan for opening that up and just teaching on what does it mean uh, for us to be uh, made in the image of God, uh, just as humans, to bear this unbelievable, infinite um, worth because we bear God's image. Uh, Um, But the the goal for this is um, twofold. Number one, we want to just be unbelievably clear about the basic uh, tenets of the Christian faith and make Christianity incredibly accessible to someone who is not a Christian, uh, who is curious. Uh, And so, like, oftentimes uh, the church can use um, theological words, which are very important, but not necessarily define them and speak in somewhat of a Christianese where it's really hard for new people or curious people um, to understand what's going on. So we want to just take some of the core tenets, the basic elements of Christianity, and just teach on them throughout the summer. So what that means for you, if you are not new or curious, is that you need to really, and I... I say this pastorally, uh, to consider uh, yourself as a witness or a missionary and invite someone in. Uh, Invite someone to come with you. Um, I think this should be of the top priority for Christians is to allow the Lord to use our lives to reach people with the hope of the gospel. Um, So think about that. Pray about that. Who you might invite to come with you uh, and to come here, um, just about Christianity. The second thing is even if you're bought in, you're a Christian, uh, sometimes we can um, kind of assume terms and assume that we know and we have defined maybe things. So uh, I, I realize it's easy to be around church, around Christianity, and to hear terms often and even use them often, but not really know the depths of them. And to be honest, none of us know the full depths of any of them. True? Like there is even the most basic things uh, I realized this week. Uh, it's just like they're, 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 we can't plumb the depths of them. So I pray and I hope and I actually know um, that it will be fruitful for you. So the topic for today, drum roll please, everyone's favorite topic, both yours and mine, sin. Sin. Everybody loves to talk about sin, so if you're brand new, you're like, ah I should have started next week. Uh, no, you shouldn't have, because sin is unbelievably important to understand, uh, and I honestly think that this sermon is going to be way more uh, encouraging to you uh, because of, of Jesus and what Jesus does uh, to and for sin than you might realize, uh, but to understand sin is an unbelievably important thing. Uh, without it, you can't understand mercy, uh, you cannot understand grace, you cannot feel the the, the beauty of redemption and the beauty of forgiveness. None of that has any weight or beauty and does not make any sense unless we first understand sin. That's one of the first reasons that it's important for us to understand. Uh, A second reason uh, is because... To understand sin, what it is and how it works, uh, will help you just understand what on earth is going on in the world. Uh, And listen, I know about this because I was at Walmart yesterday, okay? Like to understand sin, it's just like, okay, Walmart on a Saturday makes more sense to me now. And I'm not talking about the the Walmart up here on the north side. I'm talking about the one down by my house on the south side of town, okay? Uh, and, And half of me, it's like, okay, I understand the brokenness of man, but half of me, I walk in, you know, with my camouflage Crocs, I'm like, I found my people. They are here. I am a Walmart kind of guy. Anyways, like to to truly understand sin, it's going to help you understand what in the world is going on uh, on the national perspective, uh, what's going on in politics, what's going on in conflict, what's going on in your marriage, what's going on with your kids, what's going on in your soul. You just can't truly understand what's taking place in the world around us and even in the hearts within us unless we truly understand what sin is. Uh, And then the third reason that we need to understand sin is because it is no minor theme in the Bible. It is an absolute mega theme of the Bible. Okay, there's two different ways to look at the Bible, the the Word of God. Uh, One, and this is how a lot of people treat it, just as, you know, small snippets and small stories here and there, mini narratives um, that tell a story and just kind of give us some uh, some helpful ways to live our lives and tips for certain circumstances. And uh, here's the mini narrative of David and Goliath. And we read that and think the Bible's about us and like, oh, I am David and this is my giant and I shall go forth and slay that giant, right? And just to kind of take all the mini narratives and try and use them as just things that help teach us practically how to live and navigate our lives. And to be honest, it it does some of that. Uh, Some of those stories, they they do give us practical things to learn, but all of those many stories and many narratives put together, like you just need to know the Bible tells one main story. Uh, You can call this the mega theme of the Bible. A lot of theologians would call this the meta narrative, the grand narrative, the one story that the Bible tells, which is this. God created the world and humans in it to function in an unbelievable, uh, un- unbelievably beautiful and peaceful and joyful way. Sin ruptured, broke, corrupted, destroyed everything. Uh, between man and God, between people, and between us and the earth itself. And Jesus is going to come and he's going to put things back together uh, so that for those who belong to Jesus, we will live in a new heaven and a new earth as God designed forever. That's the mega theme, the meta narrative of the Bible. And if you read the many stories in light of that, some of the many narratives, then they make more sense, right? I'm not going to run through all of them because it's basically the entire Bible, and I just don't have time. I'm going to be cutting it uh, pretty close today uh, as it, as it is. So if you take the, the story of David and Goliath, uh, you can just take it as a mini story and learn like I should carry around a slingshot and some stones with me wherever I go, right? Or you can read it in the grand narrative that this is actually a picture of Jesus, that David was the underdog, uh, and, and he was going to defeat the giant because he trusted in God, that Jesus is the underdog, that defeated. Defeats the Goliath of sin and death. It's a mini picture telling a story of the grand narrative. What about Jonah? Uh, Jonah. Uh, it's like what? What in the world is going on with that story? There's a lot of things in the mini narrative, but the grand narrative is. As Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, Jesus Christ would be dead and put into a tomb in the heart of the earth for three days to defeat sin for us and come out victorious once and for all. What about Moses? Everybody say Moses. Moses. Let's try to keep you engaged here. Moses was a leader in the Old Testament of God's people, the Israelites, uh, and they were not at home in the promised land in Israel where they were supposed to be. They had been taken captive, and they were prisoners, and, uh, and, and they lived as, as um, I don't know, what the, what's the word I'm looking for? Prisoners. Slaves. There it is. Slaves in Egypt. God raises Moses up as a leader and he takes God's people uh, and he frees them and he leads them into the promised land. That's the mini narrative. What's it doing? It's pointing us to the mega narrative that Jesus is a better Moses, that he is going to take a people that are slaves, completely captive, to sin and lead us out of slavery of sin into the promised land of freedom once and for all forever one of the reasons we need to understand sin is because it is a huge part of the mega narrative of the bible and all of human history god created the world it was broken, and Jesus is redeeming it. He's putting it back together. Okay, so as uh, just kind of want to make this like very, very accessible. Maybe you've uh, everyone in the room, obviously, has heard the word sin. Um, it's actually a little more challenging to define uh, sin um, because there are so many different words, uh, both Hebrew and Greek, um, that are all translated into the one English word, sin. Okay, so I'm going to do my best to uh, try to define just what is sin because we need to understand it because it's a mega theme of the Bible. It affects your heart, your life, every relationship that we have. Um, There are around 30 different words um, that are all translated into the one English word sin, and and sin in its various forms appears in the Bible almost 500 times. Sin, sins, uh, sinneth, Uh, sin, like uh, obviously a lot of various forms of that, but it just shows up so many times. And I want to run through a few of these um, because sometimes we say the word sin and we mean just one little piece of what that actually is. And there's just so many different ways sin has affected and infected us. So uh, one of the words uh, in the Old Testament is raw. Everybody say raw. Now say raw, raw, raw. I'm just kidding that's that's the actual word raw and that word is translated sin but it's also very precisely translated uh, as something that is blemished uh, or deformed or defective or unsuitable as a sacrifice In the Old Testament, there were certain animals that had to be sacrificed, and they had to be perfectly white. And if one of them was blemished, that word is raw. It was uh, blemished. It had sin or a blemish or a defect. Uh, Another one is chata. And chata means uh, to miss the mark. Okay? If uh, if any, any bow hunters in the room? That's a risky one to throw out there. <laughs> like if you're aiming with archery equipment and a bow and arrow at the center of the target and you miss, it doesn't matter how much you miss. Just to miss is to miss the mark. Uh, and that word is translated as sin. You know, if you were to, um, to attempt to jump over a cliff from one side to the other uh, and you get, you were so close, you got 99% of the way, but you fell, what happened? You missed the mark. It doesn't matter. Like 1%, 99%, it's all the same because you didn't hit the mark. Uh, That word is translated sin. Uh, Ava is translated into sin. It means something that is crooked uh, or something that is depraved. Uh, Pesha means uh, rebellion, uh, someone who is just simply rebelling against uh, a good authority over them. That would be categorized as sin. Uh, Asham is to to trespass or just to be guilty, um, to have a law and to violate the law and you're guilty would be called sin. A couple other things, uh, words that mean broken, something that is just, it's broken. It had, a, it had a, a way that it was supposed to be designed. It broke sin, debt, lawlessness, evil, a wandering from a path, a distortion of someone's nature, injustice, and even James in the New Testament talks about an omission Um, He says to him who knows what he's supposed to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. So it's not just things that are committed, but sometimes things uh, that are omitted. Uh, You you can kind of see that the the word we just use for, for sin in English encompasses a huge thing to understand. And I would kind of, I tried to put this um, just in, in, kind of sum this up in uh, a little bit of a definition for sin. Uh, this is how I would describe sin if you put all those things together. it's uh, basically any action, any attitude, any word, thought, or deed that goes against two very important things. Sin goes against the character of God and sin goes against the design of God, how God designed your soul to work, a family to work, a society to work. God's commands reflect his character, and they reflect his design, and sin goes against both of them. Um, Consider just even the Old Testament, the very basic commands, um, the Ten Commandments, okay? Um, th- those are not just random, arbitrary things where God was, you know, he kind of had some dice and he was like, I don't know, should, should people lie or should they not lie? Oh, okay, thou shalt not lie. Should they steal or not steal, right? It's not just random, arbitrary things. Th- those are actually, they, they flow out of the character of God. Why are we not supposed to lie? Because God is a truthful God. Uh, Why are we um, not supposed to steal? Because uh, God is a a loving God, wouldn't take something from someone, right? They they represent the character of God. So anything that we do that violates the commands violate the character of God. Okay, but not, not only the character of God, but also the design of God. I don't have time to uh, to go into this in great depth, but it's uh, it's pretty interesting uh, to think about the history um, of just cultures on planet Earth and those that tend to thrive both economically uh, with, with just peace that, that happens, tranquility uh, in a society or a family or a nation. At some point, um, that happens when there is a society that obeys the commands of God. Regardless of whether they actually love God or not. There are some cultures that don't love God, but they have found out that it just makes a better society to tell the truth, uh, to be honest, to not steal. Why is that? Well, God is the one that designed the universe and he designed it to work in a certain way according to his character. And sin is any word, thought, deed, action that violates the character and the command of God. Uh, another question that I think is important. Where did sin come from? Uh, so a lot of these scriptures, and I'm about to kind of blow through the whole Bible, uh, so get your thumbs ready, whether that's device or your, uh, your, your hard copy here, B- because I want to walk through quite a few different things. A lot of these verses are going to be here on the screen. Uh, some of them will summarize. Uh, where did sin come from? Okay, Uh, you open up your Bible um, to Genesis 1-1, and you see a picture of, in the very beginning, how God uh, designed and created the world to work. Uh, You only get to page one, really, page two for most of our Bibles, uh, to Genesis chapter three is where sin showed up, Uh, and that's Adam and Eve. Uh, God had given them commands, given them free run of the garden. There was one thing that was off limits, and of course that's what their attention turned to, and um, honestly sin came when they began to listen to a deception from Satan. Uh, Satan took what God said, and he twisted it as he will with you, and as he will with I. God said something, and Satan said, did God really say, don't take of the tree? And then he kind of sows this seed of doubt in Adam and Eve's heart that God didn't love them, didn't want their best, that he was actually trying to um, keep them from becoming like him, and boom, that's when you have the first sin, that Adam and Eve decided, no, we don't want to obey God, we want to be God okay? That's where sin began. Uh, but the next chapter, actually chapter 4 in Genesis, is where sin actually uh, shows up for the first time in word. It's not, the word sin is not mentioned in Genesis 3, but the action most definitely is that broke everything. Uh, but then in Genesis 4-7, God's speaking to Cain, and he basically says that sin is crouching at the door waiting for you. Okay, so where did sin come from? It entered into humanity and the human race through the rebellion in Genesis 3 of Adam and Eve. And then it spread like a disease to everyone that they have had their offspring since then. Okay, that's where sin came from. What is at the root of sin? Okay, if you, if you trace sin down, and this is so important for you to understand where sin came from. Because if, you, if you're a sinner and... You are, just like me. Like, to, to find, like, where is the root? Where is the beginning? Where does that spring up from? Because if we can't get that right, uh, we, can't, we can't deal with the sin or the problems the sin causes. So what is the root? Uh, and Martin Luther said it, and I've, I've said this so many times, I love this phrase because I think it's accurate and helpful. Um, he said that uh, pride is the sin that is pregnant with every other sin. Okay, so the root of sin is is pride. Um, Don't tell my wife this, but I was outside uh, at our house a while ago and there was a gigantic spider uh, and I did what you're supposed to do with gigantic spiders, which is what? Stomp it. No lie. I stomped it thousands of almost just the tiny, has anybody ever experienced this? The tiniest of little spiders just went everywhere. It's like, I don't know if that was the right decision. Now I got a lot of problems on my hands. Don't tell my wife, it didn't happen in the house. Praise the Lord. Like, the, 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 like pride. Uh, the, the, all, uh, everything that we described and everything that you could name sin, it, it's, it's birth out of what we saw in Genesis 3, that I don't need God. I don't have to answer to God. I'll set myself up as my own God. And then every sort and form and fashion of sin comes from that. What is the root? Um, the root of sin is pride and rebellion in the human heart against God. I want to read Uh, something that Pastor Keller, who, if you don't know him, he was a a pastor and a theologian and church planter in New York City, uh, just went to be with Jesus a couple weeks ago. Uh, He says this, and I'm going to read two pretty lengthy quotes. Uh, Obviously, I wouldn't have put them in here if I didn't think they were incredibly helpful, so hang with me. Uh, I I do think these are very helpful. Keller says this, he says, if you want to understand your own behavior, why you do certain things you do, why you don't do things that you don't do, then you must understand that all sin against God is grounded in a refusal to believe that God is more dedicated to our good and more aware of what that is than we are. We distrust God because we assume he's not truly for us and that if we give him complete control that we will be miserable. Adam and Eve did not say, hey, let's be evil, let's ruin our lives and everyone else's too. No, rather they thought, uh, we just want to be happy, but His commands, they don't look like they will give us the things that we need to thrive and we'll have to take things into our own hands. We can't trust Him. I think that is a, a very true, accurate, and helpful statement about what, like, what is at the basis of all our sin. It's a distrust of God and a pride and rebellion against Him. This next quote that I want to read uh, is from someone named Lewis Smedes, and he wrote an incredibly helpful uh, article um, that is somewhat artistic, but it kind of takes this theological uh, idea of pride and arrogance and sin and puts it into, hopefully, a message that every one of us can jive with. We can see ourselves in this at some point. He says this, Smead says, Pride in the religious sense, it's the arrogant refusal to let God be God, and it's to to grab God's status for oneself. In the vivid language of the Bible, he says pride is puffing up yourself in God's face. Pride is turning down God's invitation to join in the dance of life as creatures in his garden and wishing instead to be the creator, to be independent, to be reliant on no one for resources. Never does pride pray for strength Never does it ask for grace, never does it plead for mercy or give thanks to God. Pride is the grand illusion, the fantasy of fantasies. It's the cosmic put on. He goes on to say this. He says, the fantasy that we, and we all do this, the fantasy that we can make it as little gods, it leaves us empty at the center. Once we decide that we have to make it on our own, then we're attacked by the little demons of fear and anxiety. Those two things mark our culture right now. Uh, If you have done much study just on sociology, in the United States, there is an unprecedented growth in anxiety from all ages, especially 20-somethings and down. Why is that? It has something to do with sin and rebellion, that if we reject God's authority and set ourselves up as little gods, we can't do that. The human heart then is filled with fear and anxiety. He says, we're worried that we can't keep our balance as long as we carry no more inside our empty heart than what we can put there. We suspect that we lack the power to become what our pride makes us think that we are. And so we learn to swagger, we learn to bluff, to use symbols to cover up our fears that we lack substance. We force other people to act as buttresses against the shaky ego that pride created by emptying our soul of God. and in the words of God's love song, we become arrogant. That is at the root of sin. Every other sin comes at some point from a rejection of God's authority of not trusting His wisdom and His goodness, and that's present in all of us. So the sin that entered the the human race that you and I are all deeply affected by, uh, this has affected and infected everything, everyone, everywhere. There's not a marriage that's not marked by sin. There's not a soul that's not been marred by sin. There's not a relationship. Everything we do has been marked and marred by this uh, sin that entered into the human race through the rebellion of Adam and Eve and then has been passed on to all of us. Um, if you think about it, well, let me go back and read. I think you've got on the screen here Romans five twelve. Is that on there? Romans five twelve. This just kind of explains in the New Testament what happened way back in the garden. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, and so death has spread to all, it says, for all have sinned. Everybody say, thank you, Adam. That's what happened. If you think about it in terms of a computer, a computer has different programs, and it's designed to function in a certain way until it gets a virus, okay? When it gets a virus, that virus corrupts things. It affects everything. It, it taints everything, uh, and then all of a sudden, you see glitches start to uh, start to happen, and things start to delete, and just the, the computer doesn't work like it should. Uh, humanity has been uh, infiltrated by a virus uh, that has got down to the very core of our hearts and has affected. Absolutely everything. That's what has taken place. So the next question that's just uh, it, it's begged of us is who does this affect? Um, I, I I had struggle with uh, I, had, I had struggle with my grammar. That's ironic. Uh, I uh, I struggled with some grammar because I wanted to say like okay so who is a sinner or who are sinners or who's are and I just like forgive my grammar, but here's the question, not just like, who does this affect, but who is a sinner? And the answer is, please get it right, everyone except. Okay, we we know that, um, I I think in one sense, but I think in another sense, we, we don't myself included, understand the depths that the same virus that has infected a serial killer, it's the same virus of sin that lives in each one of us, even if it hasn't fully manifested itself in certain ways. So sometimes we can kind of put ourselves up against someone else and be like, well, yeah, I'm a sinner, but not like them. Or it doesn't—it hasn't affected me that deeply or that much. It's like, no, it's the exact same thing that resides in each one of us. So who is a sinner? This is important. Everyone equally, okay? I'm not saying it has expressed itself in equal ways, but the same virus it resides in every human heart. Who is a sinner? Absolutely everyone, except for Jesus Christ. That is obviously very important as well. How do we know? Three things, three ways that we know. Number one, most important, God says so, okay? God says everyone is a sinner. Multiple verses I could choose. I just chose two for you here. Uh, it, it probably these are, these are normally in the top 10 verses, I think, um, that we often learn and memorize when we uh, become Christians. So I would recommend them to your heart and memory. Romans 3, 20, 22 and 23. Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament says this, there is no distinction between any of us. All have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. How many? All. All. Uh, 1 John 1.8. The apostle John, Jesus' best friend on the planet, says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. How do we know everyone is a sinner? Number one, God says so very clearly. Okay. Number two, look around. <laughs> if you Is everyone a sinful? Is everyone broken and sinful? Uh, look around or go to Walmart on a Saturday once again. Like, l- seriously, look around. It's, it's just like, it's not hard to think something has gone drastically wrong. This isn't how the world is supposed to work. This isn't supposed to happen. This suffering isn't supposed to happen. Uh, this natural disaster isn't supposed to happen. This abuse isn't supposed to happen. What's so ironic is that an atheist that would reject the idea that there is a God and therefore reject the idea that there is a being out there that can tell us what's right and what's wrong and and just like reject all standards, they still have an internal standard when they see sin. They're like, that's not right. Uh, Kids should not be abused. Rape should not happen. Why is that? Because without a standard, you can't have any opinions on that. So you just look around and the, like, the, the, the moral code to an extent of God and his character, it's, it's imprinted on the heart of every human where you look around and you're like, that's not supposed to happen. That's not how it's supposed to be. And without a Genesis 1 and 2 and without a God, we have no framework for how it's supposed to be, but, but we do. There is a how it's supposed to be. Ecclesiastes would call this uh, the idea that God has put eternity in our hearts, uh, that he's written, uh, Romans 1, he's written his law on our hearts that we know deep down there is a way it's supposed to be. And this is not it. This one is broken. And if you're really honest, and I would encourage you to be that, especially with this, If you're really honest and you look inside of your own heart, you recognize uh, that we're way more broken, way more sinful, way more rebellious than we would like to let on. Uh, We cannot even keep the standards ourselves that we want other people to keep, all right? God says that we're broken. If you just look around and you're honest, uh, something is broken. And number three, uh, if you want to see that uh, everyone is broken, especially ourselves, we're sinners, uh, we need to compare ourselves, okay? But Be careful because we need to compare ourselves to the right thing or the right person. Oftentimes, we compare, and rarely is comparison helpful, like rarely, because most of the time we compare ourselves to the wrong things. Like, I'm really not that bad. Really? Who are you comparing yourself to? Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. You know, it's like, well, of course you don't feel as bad. You're comparing yourself to the wrong thing. And this is, what, this is what humans do because it makes us feel better. We look for the, the, the worst example, like, well, I'm better than them, okay? That's just, I think that's a bad way to go about it. What we should do is compare ourselves, and this is, this is, this is important, this is hard. Compare yourself to Jesus, okay? And if you get out of that comparison feeling like you're sinless, like something has gone <laughs> drastically wrong okay yeah uh, isaiah um who probably let's let, he was a, he was a prophet uh, that wrote a, a huge book of the old testament 66 chapters uh just a, a mega book in the old testament and he was a prophet that got to already speak for god what an unbelievable calling and opportunity okay um so uh, let's just take some creative license and say, maybe he thought about, uh, you know, all the other people around and that he was better than them. And maybe uh, he just kind of compared himself to other sinners in the kingdom. And, uh, you know, maybe he didn't, he didn't feel the weight of his own sin, but there was a moment in Isaiah chapter six. Many of you know, this says in the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah saw the Lord. That's Jesus okay, this is 700 years before he infiltrates humanity in Bethlehem, Jesus as the king of the universe who has existed forever, he shows up and Isaiah sees him and it's just unbelievably dramatic picture where uh, the train of Israel filled the temple. There were these crazy creatures that were created for nothing but to fly around and declare the holiness of Jesus. He says, I saw the seraphim. Uh, they were all crying, holy, holy, holy. He got a picture of Jesus that we, we, we desperately need. Like to, to see Jesus is somehow in all of his glory and all of his splendor and his holiness, his, his His sinlessness, if you will. And his response was, so many of you know this, woe is me because I'm undone. I am a man of unclean lips. Like he was overwhelmed with, I am a sinner. I'm worse than I thought. I was comparing myself to the wrong thing. See, it's so important that we think about and maintain the holiness of Christ because the holiness of Christ helps us actually to see the need and the depth of the brokenness that we have. you got to be careful what you compare yourself to. So how do we know we're a sinner? God says so. Look around. Everything's broken. And if you compare yourself to Jesus, we should say, okay, that is not me. I am not like him. We're not in the same category you read through his life in the gospels you would come out saying that he is he's different. I'm sinful, okay? Who is affected everyone where does sin live? I already talked about this but it's worth hammering out. Sin lives down at the deepest part of your heart. Jesus said so. He says this Matthew 18 or sorry Matthew 15 verse 18. He's talking about sin He says, "What? where does it come from? He says, uh, what comes out of the mouth that we can call sin, gossip, slander, lying, whatever it might be, what comes out of the mouth, it actually came from the heart, it proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. So where is the problem of sin? It's way down in our hearts. So unless the solution gets all the way down in there, it's just gonna keep cropping up in other places. Like if if gossip is just a speech problem, we can fix that. We can change our speech, but then the sin is still in there. It's gonna pop up somewhere else. Have any of you ever attempted to mow over a mesquite tree? (laughs) It doesn't work, okay? That's the only tree right, that thrives out here that you just can't kill. It's like everything else that just dies for no reason. But the mesquite tree, like the, the roots are so deep. If you mow over it, it comes back with an absolute vengeance. You know, what used to be one stem is now a hundred stems and it's everywhere. That sin, if you try to deal with it on the surface level, like now the root's way down deeper and unless you deal with the root, it's going to continue to hurt your relationships, to damage your marriage, to hurt your soul, to affect everything around you. Why? Because Jesus says what we recognize as sin has come from the deepest place of our being, the heart. Why is that important? Because that's what the gospel does. It gets all the way past the actions and past the manifestations down into the place where sin resides, where destruction comes from, and it deals with it there. I've got to move very quickly, but, uh, you know, I think all of this obviously... Leads us to the last question: uh, If if the world is so broken and sin is uh, apparent inside of all of us and it's at the very bottom, what is the answer? What is the solution? Is there any hope? Four things. Really, and this puts together again the meta narrative of the Bible. What is Jesus trying to accomplish on planet Earth? It's broken. He is infiltrated. He's redeeming. He's restoring. He's dealing with the issue of sin to, re, to restore things to the way he's designed them to be. Number one, you need to know this. Sin's penalty needs to be forgiven, okay? If all of us are sinners, we've sinned against God. It needs to be forgiven. You have one of two options. I know this is not popular, but it is very biblical, and it is true, and we need to know it, and we need to deal with it. You have one of two options. If you are, and all of you just admitted, we, we all know that we're sinners. We have... Uh, we have Rejected God's authority, we've rebelled against Him, that has to be dealt with, that has to be either punished or forgiven. There are two ways, every human being, that this will play out. One is we will be punished in hell forever. Two, Jesus was punished on the cross in our place and we're forgiven. That's it. Okay? According to the Bible, that's it. Every sinner needs to be forgiven good news. Romans 6.23 says this, uh, for the wages of sin, or wages are obviously what we have earned. The, the wages of sin, if you sin, this is what we've earned. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I read 1 John one eight a moment ago. I'll read the second part of that, 1 John one nine. If we confess our sins, that's like to acknowledge our Rebellion, brokenness, all 30 of those words that comprise sin. If we confess our sin, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You need to be forgiven of your sins, and God is the only one who can do it. Confess your sin to Jesus. He died for that reason so that he took your sins on the cross, so when you ask for forgiveness, he doles out grace. Number two, sin's power needs to be broken, okay? You can be forgiven of sin, and uh, sin is still present, and it's still active, and it's still uh, damaging and ruining some things, but before we're forgiven, and before we're Christians and belong to Jesus, um Romans especially, Romans 5, Romans 6, Romans 7, they paint this picture that uh, s- sin is our, is our master. We're a slave. We don't get the freedom to choose. We just obey. Sin says uh, jump. We say how high or really how low, right? It's just like, we're, we're, and Paul, if you read through Romans 7, he's so frustrated himself. He's like, why can't I do this? I keep doing things I don't want to do, and the list of things I really want to do, I can't do. It's like I'm a slave. So we not only need to be forgiven of sin, uh, sin's power needs to be broken. And if you read through Romans 6 and Romans 7, are like, oh my goodness, the Holy Spirit comes in once we're forgiven and frees us from the bondage and the power of sin, opens up the prison cell, as it were, so that we have the freedom to now be uh, slaves to Christ and righteousness. Uh, Romans seven twenty four says this, Paul says, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, that if you belong to Jesus, listen to this, you do not have to obey sin any longer. You're not a slave to it. You have been set free. The Holy Spirit lives in you to give you the power and the freedom to obey Jesus and not sin. It needs to be broken. The power needs to be broken. Number three, sin's effects need to be remedied. And the effects of sin are deep. Uh, The effects of sin need to be remedied. And if you fast forward all the way to the end of your Bible, that's what you'll see in in a full fashion where Jesus is dealing not just, he's not just forgiving sin, he's not just breaking the power of sin here and now, he is actually putting together a new heaven and a new earth where the effects of sin, all of the ways that you have been damaged and hurt and frustrated and that you're scared will be wiped away. Listen, this is so hard to think about and to believe that there is an existence coming for those in Christ where Revelation says Jesus will wipe away every tear. What does that mean? He's going to, in the, in the, in the words of the great theologian, Samwise Gamgee, he is going to make all things sad untrue. C.S. Lewis said it this way. I think this is so powerful. He says, this is what mortals misunderstand. Honestly, talking about what people who don't really grasp the new heaven and the new earth, this is what they don't understand because they say that of, of temporal suffering in this life, that no future bliss can make up for it. They say like, heaven can't be so good that it overshadows all of the hell and the, and the, and the struggle and the problems and the pain that I'm going through. But he says, this is what they misunderstand." Not knowing that heaven, once it's attained, will work itself backwards. And it will turn even the agony that we face into glory. There is a way in which Jesus is redeeming everything. Even the way that sin has destroyed things. Last thing you need to know, sin's presence needs to be removed. The the, the theological term for that, uh, for sin to be removed, is expiated and I'll close on this, Um, there's literally hundreds of ways you can, or or hundreds of ideas or texts or places, verses that you can go to to try to uh, sum up a, a sermon on sin, hundreds. I just picked one. Okay, Um, in Leviticus uh, chapter 16, uh, this is Old Testament, uh, there was a man, actually Moses' brother named Aaron, and he was uh, kind of the first priest. And so uh, he he was commanded to do this certain thing, which I'm sure seems strange, uh, but he was commanded to find a goat okay? And he would bring this goat in, and then in this ceremonial moment, he would declare all the sins of all of his people as he put his hands on this goat's head and just like dump all of the sins of his people upon this goat. And then they would turn around, and they would send the goat out into the wilderness, right? Which it was, it was a symbolic thing. We know that it didn't actually take upon itself the sins of all the people. It was symbolic. It was foreshadowing Of Christ. This is where we get the word scapegoat. That was the first scapegoat, okay? Uh, What is that doing? That's foreshadowing what Jesus Christ is going to do with sin. Do y'all remember John the Baptist? He was preaching in the Jordan River. And he was, he was preaching, he was the forerunner for Christ, and he was preparing people for the coming kingdom and, and calling them to repent and to believe the gospel. And he's in the middle of just preaching and people are responding like crazy, and he's baptizing them, and then boom, he looks to the shore and he sees Jesus Christ, and he, maybe the only one in the crowd, John, knew who Jesus actually was. And do you remember what he said? He said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He's the scapegoat. God is going to put all of the sins on Jesus, turn him around, send him out into the wilderness outside of the city to be crucified in our place, to, not, to remove sin, to forgive sin, to, uh, to, to undo sin. Jesus is the one that deals with sin. Last verse, and I am done. 2 Corinthians 5.21, so beautiful. Such an unbelievable picture of the gospel. For our sake, like God has done something for our sake because he looked down and is seeing sin destroy everything. And he says, for our sake, God, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus would never sin in word, in thought, or deed, yet God made him sin so that he might so that in him we might become the righteousness of god the reformers called this the great exchange that all that we uh, all, all 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 of our sin is put upon christ he is the lamb of god that takes it away if you're not a Christian, you need to consider the sin that's in your heart, the sin that has uh, damaged your relationships, and you need to know that Jesus has come to deal with it. And it's so it's, it runs so deep into our hearts, the gospel of Christ is the only place that can get down and pull it up by the roots. This is why we're, we're, uh, uh, all the way back in Ezekiel, the Old Testament, it says that we will be given in Christ a new heart. Why? The old one was defective. The old one was marred. The old one had a virus. We're given a new heart in Christ. Sin is a big deal. Jesus is bigger. We're going to sing. I'm going to invite you in a few moments to respond. If you're a Christian, we've got some praising of God to do for forgiveness, for breaking uh, uh, sin's chains, giving us freedom, for providing a place for us that we will be forever without the presence of sin. If you're not a Christian, I encourage you to respond to Jesus accept His grace to ask for his forgiveness. Let's pray together. God, we love you, we thank you, we need you, we worship you and I pray in these moments that you would well up in our hearts an unbelievable gratitude at who you are and what you've done, that you took all of our sins upon yourself and you nailed them to the cross and you gave us your righteousness. God, I pray for anyone that's in this room this morning that has never asked for your forgiveness, that you might draw them in, that your kindness would lead them that way. God, that you would uh, just help, help. You say that your spirit helps convict the world of our need for you. And God, I pray that you would do that this morning. God, would you help someone be born again? Give them a new heart this morning that loves you and loves your commands. God, we thank you that those sin has broken, that you restore and that you are a redeemer. I pray that your people would sing loud right now all of the good things that you have done. We love you, we praise you, and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you wanna connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.